So, Rook, real quick before we um, get started with this recap, I just want to correct something for the record. I actually get the origin of the story uh, totally wrong in this episode. Um, it's actually pretty embarrassing. So, after doing some extensive research, I went and looked into it, and um, here's the real story of how it went down. Uh, the story it was based on Shoots and Landers, sorta. Um, and it was written by Iris Stevens' friend, sort of. But this is sort of a... Looking back into it, I see that this was uh, all sort of a false flag story to sort of cover up what was really going on underneath. And that's that um, Iris Stevens' bear actually got into a lot of uh, hot water amongst his friends and, and, and the people in the Writers Guild, essentially the TV Writers Guild, uh, the hack TV writers of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Not a lot of people know about this, but there is... It's a pretty... Um, it's kind of like a gang. You have to be kind of initiated into it. There's secret rituals, secret... secret uh, sort of lore and, and practices and rites and rituals that they do, these hack writers of of L.A., and they all kind of, um, they have a culture that they keep secret. It's a part of their bonds, and you agree to keep these these rituals secret from mass society or from the public, and that's part of the goal of when you agree to that. And one of the things that they do is they go to these L.A. bars. Um, they all specific, you know, everybody in the know knows where they go, and they play this game, the game that you see in Move Along Home. Um, they play it much like that, and it was uh, it was huge. It was a huge deal, and Norman Lear was considered one of the better ones uh, for a really long time. Roddenberry himself was really good at it, and they would never spread the secrets of this, and Iris Stephen Bear used this as the point to make this whole story. And a lot of people in the guild felt that by exposing the game that they all like to play in private, he violated the terms. And his career's uh, been really rocky, and he's really been really shit on um, for many years after that by exposing the secrets to the guild. In fact, he recently gave an interview, I think it was during the, the release of the DVD, where he actually says that he, he really regrets this episode. And then he feels like it really derailed his career and that he felt like that he was on uh, sort of a path to be, you know, like an important writer. He could have been an HBO writer or he could have done like Ronald D. Moore did, did, uh, you know, Battlestar uh, Galactica and any of these things. And he could have done that and taken off, but he didn't. And he feels like his career was sort of stymied and, and you know, he's sort of where he's at now because because he exposed those secrets and, and he feels really bad, sort of bad about it. And it, it's really affected him today. I mean, and I think you can see Ronald D. Moore... Um, they didn't run afoul of this. They've sort of, their stink wasn't on this. But all of the writers involved with this, I mean, except for Iris Stephen Bear, a lot of them, you know, haven't had any career to speak of. Or, you know, I don't, I don't want to speak out of, you know, school, but, you know, some of them are dead. So, um, you know, you don't, basically, you don't run afoul of the Hack TV Writers Guild. And that's sort of the story of this episode. Enjoy listening to the podcast. Clon Pegs. Alpha Current Nectar. Oh yeah. Count to four. Now three fucking more. Oh yeah. Just shoot me. Just shoot me in the fucking head. Oh yeah. It's time for like just the worst thing ever. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, a weekly podcast where we will be going through every single episode of a TV show from the 90s. I couldn't even say the greatest TV show of anything for this episode. Not today. Uh, for no reason. Yeah, no spoilers, but we might talk about how bad it was, or the quality later. Um, with me, as always, is James Nolan. How's it going? And Hugh Crawford. Hey, guys. And I'm Wade Bowen. Um, tonight, we're talking about... Move along home. I don't even know what episode this is. It's like the ninth. All right, I think. this yes, this is episode nine. It <laughs> aired uh, March fourteenth, nineteen ninety-three. Uh, from IMDb, the description is as follows: The Wadi from the Gamma Quadrant are to make first contact and decide to visit DS Nine. When they catch Quark cheating, they let him off by playing a special game. Now, I think, now who's responsible for the teleplay on this one, guys? Do we know? Yeah. Is this a pillar? No. Okay. So the story was. Who is to blame? I think the story, Michael Pillar took the credit for the story, but really he just said he showed, he wanted to make an episode that was a ripoff of a prisoner episode called something. I don't know. An episode of the British show, The Prisoner. Frederick Rappaport, who's Ira Bear's best friend, wrote his only screenplay treatment, teleplay treatment for this show, and then it was uh, scrubbed up to make it cheaper by Lisa Rich and Janine Carrigan-Fucci, who 
uh, really, these are this is the only credit they have on IMDb. Wow. So. Wow. So everybody got blacklisted after this episode, <laughs> or what? They'll never work again. Frederick Rappaport s- swears that what he turned in was a much bigger story, and because I guess they were over budget by this time in the season. <laughs> I think that not even- well, we talked about early on how the pilot cost more to make than Undiscovered Country. Right. Right. Yeah, the Star Wars 6, the movie, that the pilot for this cost more. I don't think, I think that was an accident. I don't think that that was like, I think that they just overspent. And then they thought, well, we'll make a bunch of boring episodes that take place in Quark's bar for eight episodes of that and then we'll have some big like it was supposed to take place outside all on built exterior sets wow so instead of just a hallway and a couple of diamond doors so i think and then at the end they were like we got like five bucks to film this episode and so they had to totally rewrite it well i i this episode is so bad it's it's completely watchable (laughs) for me Okay. I was really afraid I was worried. that you liked it. I was worried. No, no, there. Are, yeah, because I thought from your text that you actually liked. It. There's actually, actually, there are. <laughs> we actually get to check off some stuff off of our DS9 box on this episode. Yes, there's some good stuff in here. Yes, sir. But no, this episode is so bad it's good. It's actually one of the most <laughs> watchable bad Star Trek episodes. It was. It was because when Star Trek is usually bad in Deep Space Nine this season, especially or so far, it, when it when it's kind of shifts into bad, it just becomes boring. Boring. And I think I've commented on this before. Right. It's got that low hum, and everybody's just talking about nonsense that doesn't make sense. And it just kind of like if you've had a long day, you kind of just you maybe drip further into sleep than you want to. Or on weed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's like yes. If you're if you're feeling bad or melancholy, a bad DS9 episode could push you even farther into the depths. Or that if you just need to come down, like if you had a lot of sugar, a lot of cough, caffeine, you just get it'll 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 right. coast you down. But then it's not riveting, you know. But this was riveting in its badness. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, okay. So the Wadi, the the main the main Wadi leader is played by a this character. Is, what's that? I was just gonna say, or just starting from the beginning. How many first contacts are there going to be so far? This is like the third <laughs> first contact from the wormhole we've had this season. Yes. This is the first formal contact, but it's still they're talking like it's the first time something's come through the wormhole. It's because they want to have like a episode of the week where they anybody can tune in and see the first alien for the first time, five different times or what? I don't get it. I guess this was the first one where they broke out the dresses. Right. Oh, yeah. The formal dress. <laughs> yes. They shortened it. It's not as short a dress as when Picard wore it uh, back in when it came down to his knees. Yes. When the dress was actually a dress. And I liked how they, they finally gave Bashir a bit of business that wasn't trying to fuck a girl. Right, for once. But having him forget to pack his dress gown. And I really liked oh, that. Right. Just replicate another one, motherfucker. I don't understand why that's a problem. (laughs) There is a dropped subplot in the screenplay about him going to Garrick to see if Garrick could imitate one. Okay. (laughs) See. Okay. Then you have Uh, to drop it all. They dropped that scene out. You can't just drop, like, the subplot, the rest of the subplot. You might as well just drop the whole, have him show up in dress uniform but there's three scenes in the first act about how jake probably wants to fuck a girl yes but there is not any all oh, right because he's jake's talking about fashion with his little onesies because he's the height of fashion yes fashion in that <laughs> dumb outfit that he they put him in <laughs> and then now we don't know that's dumb in the 24th century oh, well Okay, yeah, you're right. You're saying dumb, Wade, with 21st century eyes. <laughs> right. Well, they know that the Bajors like baggy clothes now. That was trendy in 2360, whatever fucking... They have been. Right. Well, Jake's not wearing baggy clothes. He's wearing a tight onesie like yes. they do in the future, I guess. How would you like to have to go through puberty wearing a tight onesie like that? <laughs> yeah, they put him in... That's like the, you know, 23rd century of equivalent of short pants and a sailor outfit i feel like <laughs> yes there's no way to hide your boner your 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 uncontrollable <laughs> puberty boners that's right in those things even odo noticed it and they pro- so it was uncontrollable was was uh jake's sex drive like another subplot that was cut 
I don't know. Like, that's weird to me. That whole stuff. And I got all kinds of shit on that. Because the whole time you're watching it, um, you think at the end, you're like, this this plot is stupid. They're going to cut this short at the end of the last act. And then, like, the last scene will be between Dad and Jake talking about girls. And you'll have some character development. So you can walk away from this episode with something. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> None of that. <laughs> yeah, and I totally thought they were going to do it because they set it up three times. First scene, then when he comes back from meeting the Wadi, and then uh, Odo mentions girls and how he's like leering after girls on the crosswalk. Right. So I thought it would end with like a scene between J- Jake and Cisco because you haven't seen one of those in weeks. Right, right. And no. <laughs> and Cisco does say, we're going to talk about girls in the morning, and then they don't. Twice! <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. And that's the only reason why Odo knows that he's missing is because his son was like, hey, dad was going to tell me how to get laid and I, and I need to find him. And that's how Odo knows that he's missing. There's not like a lot of cool dudes here on this place. And what a, like my dad is one of the few cool dudes and he was going to talk to me about chicks. Can you find him? Yeah, <laughs> please. Okay. Speaking of cool dudes, can we talk about the Wadi now? Because... <laughs> Oh my god. It's like, okay, the Wadi are basically... So, with the costume design, they, they clear... This whole episode was like, hey, there were a bunch of people, like, what if we had a bunch of guys that were in their garage in the 70s and were really into Yes? <laughs> and they're like, let's just do a whole episode that's a Yes album cover, and we'll have these guys look like Yes fans with their long hair and their goatees. Their fucking spaceship should have had a... The spaceship should have, for what I think, the spaceship should have been an airbrushed van. That's what I feel like. For the Wadi coming in. It was like something out of heavy metal. (laughs) You talk about how they wanted to have exterior scenes for for the game. They probably were these big, you know, more Yes album, like all the environments from a Yes album cover. But then they just had to do your general... Prague game, yes, geometric thing. Okay, <laughs> that's what I couldn't. I couldn't shake that this whole episode. <laughs> do you do you think that at their second contact is going to be? I'm floored by this. I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing. <laughs> okay, because it's like a it's a the aliens are middle. They're they're kind of like slightly overweight, like. Garage yes. or arena rockers or something. Yes. <laughs> With what? stupid dumbass face paint from the 70s. Yes. It's like, oh, if you were in the 70s, you're like, oh, this is a 70s movie about a dystopia in the future. You put these guys and put face paint on them, and there you go. Yes, you get yes or Toto or or someone like that, <laughs> right? To or Europe, and you get them to like you're going to take a photo op, and you're going to dress like aliens from the future. They probably come out looking like the Wadi. Yeah, the Wadi. They look like they have Lisa Frank uh, stickers on their forehead. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's what. <laughs> I was distracted the whole time. Uh, I don't know if about you guys, but I was a big uh, Six Feet Under fan. And the main Wadi, whatever his fucking name. Oh, yeah. He was actually really, his name is Joel Brooks, and I really enjoyed his performance, actually. Yeah, yeah. No, he's fine, considering what he's got to do. But he was like a <laughs> major character. Uh, I don't know. He was like a B-level character on Six Feet Under for the first two seasons as like a gay florist. Oh, yeah. And like oh, one of those like, yeah. um, yes, yes. The, the emotional gay florist that befriends the old, the mom. And he's in a cult about house building. Like, I don't remember, but it's been a while since I've seen these episodes. But he's in that. And the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, that's the guy. And yeah, so I was distracted the whole time. And, and I felt like it was the first time that watching an actor. And I'm a you know, I try to be a sophisticated viewer. I know about acting and shit. But I was the whole time I, I felt like it was that character from Six Feet Under playing this dumbass role. Yeah. <laughs> and so it felt funnier to me where he was like, I guess we have to do space stuff now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and every time he had to, like, act in all of those scenes where the door would pop open and he would go, Splat! What, what was their... F- Adelaide! Move along! Move along home! <laughs> yes! Splat 2! What was their <laughs> floors called? I don't know. I didn't write that down. Shat? It was Shat, <laughs> wasn't it? 
<laughs> it surely can't be shit. That's what this episode was. It's shat one. It was sh- yeah. It was like shat. Well, I know the game was called Chul Chulo Chula, and apparently because it was the it shoots and ladders. It shoots and ladders. You can gamble. No, that's why that's why it's called that. Shoots and ladders. The first three letters of shoots and the first two letters of ladders. No, that's exactly what the game looked like. Too. Yes, it was. That's the writer thought he was being clever when he did that, huh? Yep. Enough to comment <laughs> on it on Memory Alpha. Yes. I didn't come up with that. <laughs> the jewels that he had available look like the souvenirs from Silver Dollar City. <laughs> Like if you get like every you can get a bag of them, but Quark looked so enamored with them. Okay, this is the thing. I, okay, so about that trading, I wrote all kind of stuff there. None of the trading early on made sense to me because he brought up these sticks called Klon pegs, and Quark is like fucking sticks. I don't want no sticks. <laughs> right. But he's like, they have many uses. Quark's not a dumb guy. Ask him what the sticks are for. Right. Maybe they get you high. Maybe they get everybody high. Maybe they power jet spaceships. You don't fucking know. And then he tastes the alpha nectar, and he's like, it's not me. And he's like, and I was like, how, don't, how do you know in five minutes I won't give you like a 12-inch boner? Ask about this shit. <laughs> Instead of just going for the costume jewelry that my daughter plays with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Though, as far as I can tell, all the sticks are for is just banging together when people yell Elmerine and play the dumbass game. <laughs> In celebration, yeah. Click, click, click. Yeah, yeah. But, like, if you're going to world build by coming up with the name Clon Plagues and Alpha Current Nectar, if you're going to come up with those names, come up with their fucking uses and why, why these people would, like, trade for this. If you're going to have a whole scene, do that. But frustrating. Yeah. Though I did, like, in this episode, we got clarification and ruled that you know the holodecks are a brothel <laughs> yes <laughs> quark asked the guy I, I think he's even asked it what he, he says is like do you even have sex on your world this is <laughs> weird yeah do you like do you guys like sex yeah you got you guys do that thing or do you just gamble because you seem like a people obsessed with gambling right that, wade brings up a good point that's like the first time sex is actually said out loud uh, like in a non-risa like uh context i think oh wait do they actually say sex he says the word sex oh i i wrote it down the quote is he says do you have sex on your world that's what he asked the wadi when they're like not interested in the holodeck oh my god okay yeah he actually he's like do you want to use he's like do you want to use the holodeck and then they're not interested do you have sex on your world or are you just weird prog nerds that never got laid wow okay yeah so it lays out that's what's the holodecks for. So this is the second time that sex has been mentioned, but but this is the first time that sex has been mentioned not in the context of Quark raping his employees. <laughs> right. Okay. It's mentioned in the context is that's what the holodecks are for. Yeah, okay. Right. Is sex. All right. And then they cut to a poor poor Ferengi with a mop bucket standing next to the holodeck door. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor Rom. Right? There's that really great uh, Woody Guthrie song that's on the Mermaid Avenue albums about like having to clean up a brothel. <laughs> oh, fuck, what's it called? Hot Rod Hotel? I think is the name of the song. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> that could easily happen in space, yeah. That's, yeah, that's the Ferengi song. That's a good song to think of for the Ferengi. All right, okay, so where are we at? We're at the meeting. We're at the Clon Pigs. Can we just talk about how weird Cisco's hatred of Nod is in this episode, too, before we get too deep into the game? Oh, Nog. Nog. Why? He comes in and he says, Jake, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm building an ion thing for school, which he admits later. He doesn't even have school because O'Brien and his wife are not even on the show right now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Oops. Well, that's something that you tell your dad, but you can't admit that you can admit that you're not going to school to the constable. But yeah, but he's clearly building a lightsaber or some sort of space thing. He's got it in his hands. He's not masturbating. He didn't catch him with the lights. He didn't pull the blankets up real quick or anything. So his dad walks in and he's like, what are you doing up? And he's like, I'm working on some sort of project that me and Nog are working on. And he goes, Nog is older and he probably does things with girls. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. Yeah, that was completely weird. <laughs> At no point were girls brought up in this conversation. And he goes, Nog probably does stuff with girls. Hey, first off, is Nog older? I mean, they're in school together. Log looks like he's played by a 12-year-old. 
I don't. Nog is like a couple years older. They did establish that a little earlier. Yeah. Okay, because I didn't catch that. And then, like, I know that later on, like, Nog goes to war and all kinds of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good episodes. There's good days ahead, folks. But nonetheless, so he's like, Nog probably knows how to do things with girls that you're not ready for. And I was just, okay, like, Cis- I, I know that they're trying to say that Cisco's frustrated, but it's like, Cisco comes in and berates his son about sex. That's. <laughs> like Cisco goes back home and traumatizes. Well, Jake brings it up with fashion. <laughs> no, no, no. That was another scene. That's her two scenes. Oh. This is after he meets the Wadi and gets bored and leaves them alone. Leaves the first contact of an alien race alone with Quark, which should be a fireable offense. But nonetheless, well, he's been there for hours low at car beans. Bar, and he's like, "Oh, this is boring." So yeah. Right. So I just thought that whole scene was weird and tonally. I didn't get anything about it but anyway it made me already want to punch this episode in the face (laughs) he's basically frustrated with his first contact because he was all excited about wearing his formal dress and meeting this formal delegation and then all they want to do is gamble and then he's in a bad mood and he goes home and he picks a fight with his son because he's in a bad mood about sex i think he was he is excited to be able to do star trek's federation type shit for once you know yeah that is the and i said to my wife it's nice when you get to see avery brooks always eats up scenes where he gets to do star trek shit because his role is so absolutely different than any star all the star trek stuff so he gets to be picard for a minute like dressing down bashir for not having his dress on he ate that seat up Mm -hmm. right this episode wore him down though by the end of the episode he was just saying lines (laughs) i think we had a, a few other nice moments one of my favorite moments is whenever that schlubby security officer odo gets him to admit that he lost his entire senior staff yes and he dresses him down and then goes and finds him that was a really nice episode and i think it furthers my argument that that guy would have been a better like recurring character than o'brien than o'brien did you guys miss o'brien i didn't want to see o'brien no i was too distracted by the rest of this episode to think you know i I feel like o'brien did a good job by not being in this one (laughs) i love o'brien too much to subject him to being in this episode um okay all right well i didn't miss him at all i was like i thought this was actually odo doesn't like being called constable though did you notice that yeah he doesn't like anybody but avery brooks calling him constable i think right yeah well and he's and he's got a weird um whose dick is bigger thing with what's his name the other security officer from the federation security guy yeah which so. he finally wins right that i actually said that moment where he's because i guess there's two scenes with prim and the first one's you lost everybody and then i really it made me wonder were they trying to play prim and his drunk in that scene because he was like weirdly giggly no i think he was just doofy i think he's just kind of like a doof because he wasn't a doofus we've had him in one other episode he wasn't a doofus in that episode but anyway no, he wasn't. Well, when he says that, it, like, surely it's not against Starfleet regulation to touch a button. Yeah. I was like, that's the finest Odo moment. Like, Odo taking charge at this moment. Right. It's not only the best moment of this episode, but like the best moment, maybe like the best moment of Odo so far. Yeah. Because he really, it shows that, like, what a kind of like a. I don't know. He's a, you know, he's a rule breaker. People like to watch rule breakers, but he's driven by. It was all the things that you should be doing to characters in a first season to make an audience bond with them. And he's doing that. So. Right. Yeah. Though Prim and Odo's all, it's not against regulation to press a few buttons. Well, actually, yes, it is. <laughs> he's aiding and abetting the guy. If he pushed the buttons himself, that'd be fine because he's not Starfleet. But Prim is Starfleet. He can't push buttons to teleport a guy. That's directly abetting him breaking regulation. Yeah. But he was but being badass, which is all that uh, all that, that scene requires. That's true. Yeah. That's all we could hope for out of Odo at this point in the series is that this flash is a badass. Mm-hmm. Also, we also get the moment later on where Quark gets Odo to blow on the dice. That was a fun. That was so that was fun. Right. Yes. That was weird to the point of being awesome. Right. That was weird. It was super weird. Out of the, the most nonsense plot, they took a moment to have that. They took whatever, like. 20 seconds to have that moment in an episode was so weird to me. I liked it. It needs to be in some sort of clip montage <laughs> of like Odo and Quark moments. Yes. Right. Also, you get Nana Visitor flying off the rails. Oh my God. Okay. You know, in character. This is my worst. Which I thought was great. Actually, no, that I thought that was great because <laughs> she's like, I'm glad you Federation people are having a good time, but I'm not here for this bullshit. I'm an administrator. 
That was actually a very true character moment for me. We don't play these games. Okay, um, someone else agrees. <laughs> do we want to talk about the actual game that they're all sucked into? Yeah, I think, what are your or, thoughts about that, Wade? Before I disagreed about it, I want to comment on what he said. Before I disagree with it, and I'm trying to look through Memory Alpha real quick, someone else said that that was their favorite moment, too. Kira? Yeah, because it makes sense for the character. Someone who wrote the book Star Trek, the Deep Space Nine collections, the only thing they wrote about this episode was specifically that like they liked it because of this Kira moment. Okay, so that I'm fine with that. I totally forgot the Kira moment. Yeah, when she goes, I'm not a Federation. I don't, like, I'm not an explorer. I'm not, when I get into some crazy, sh- you know, because I think that was like an attack on, not an attack, but like that was an attempt by the writers to try and contrast this show with the next generation because it seems like on the next generation and specifically on their and also more so on the original series when they get into some sort of you know like at the end of the first commercial break something weird happens and everybody's like interesting and so they're like all they're they're in to sort of contrast this show it makes her where she's like fuck this like get me out of this i'm not into this like interesting exploration shit i got i got homeland oppression drama i don't need hijinks kooky space shit yeah (laughs) yeah and that was like her response to it and she but in the hands of a capable actress that could have came off as really good but I think I, I I actually like her choices. I like how she's dialed up to eleven. I know you hate you hate all that about it, but I really do like oh, it. Let me quit. And and worst acting in television. I would reserve that for <laughs> Dax in this episode. But we can get to that. You could finish your point there. Yeah. No. But I'm no. I'm no. 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 Not just. I'm saying the worst acting for all of them. Not just not a visitor, but not a visitor and Dax and Bashir in a little bit in those first scenes in the corridor. Oh yeah. Oh with. Uh, Julian, yeah, like, oh, Julian still sucks. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Uh, uh, doing his little screaming. Uh, okay, so I'm going to compare it to last night I sat down and watched Interstellar. I'd never seen it before. I watched it with my family. And they get to- Oh, don't spoil it for me. Oh, okay. Can I spoil one scene that's not overarchingly big? I saw the first, like, half hour. Then I had to go to work the other day. So I, I have some framework. Okay, have you seen it, Hugh? Am I spoiling things? No, wait, I'm sorry. Hugh hasn't seen it. I've seen it, yes. Okay, so there's a scene in the middle of the movie where Anne Hathaway has to- argue that she wants to go to a certain planet because she loves the guy who was sent there originally. And she goes into this like emotional thing that she says that, yes, I believe that love is a thing, a real physical scientific thing that can transcend space and time and laws of gravity and everything, that I believe that love is this fundamental... And she has to say this thing that is quite possible. Yeah, and, and you say, and you think you're a bad astronaut, lady. Yeah, okay, it quite possibly is the dumbest thing that could happen in a Christopher Nolan movie. On page, that had to be the dumbest thing but i think anne hathaway's pretty capable actress guys and i think she's she's pretty good and in the in that scene she delivers it with like i don't buy what she's saying but i buy that she believes it and i buy that it doesn't mean that she's stupid yeah yeah and i think like she does it in a way that she acts her ass off in that scene to convince me of a stupid ass premise in a way that i accept it as a thing she said and as a maybe now introducing a theme of the movie there is nothing about the way anybody, including Avery Books, is acting in this sequence that makes me think that they're just not hating, that they're just not five actors of middling capability hating their job. And like for the rest of this episode, it just seemed like this was people saying lines. And it was so was so fun to watch in like a bad movie room kind of way. But it was pretty awful in the I had to watch it twice today. And then I like, you know, we make a podcast about it. <laughs> you know, we spent a lot of time on this and I was just kind of like, oh, my God, tell me this is the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> this episode, I don't even feel like this is the worst episode that we've seen so far. No, there's redeemable moments and true character moments in this episode. Is there? <laughs> I think we've talked about them. I, I think-, think that they're buried over what we haven't talked about yet, which is everything that's we're at the precipice of them starting the game. Everything. <laughs> but even when it goes off the rails, being awfully, everything about it is awful and bonkers and weird. It's still more watchable than some of the stuff that we've had to like to slog through because it's interesting. Oh, I'm having a lot of fun talking about this. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Because, yeah, because, no, I had, like, fun watching it because it was so goofy. It's definitely the goofiest one we've had so <laughs> this far. This was right? so, That's, yeah, this is the yes. goofiest one. 
This is the one where it's like, if you want to show somebody some bad TV, so bad it's good, you show them Move Along Home. Yes. If you want to watch so bad you're bored and you're slogging through it, you watch what that third episode. I can't even remember the name of it. Oh, was that the one where, oh, uh, where, shit. A Man Alone? No, that was the second one. Not the second one with Gary. Babel was ba- the worst. No. Babel? Oh. Yeah. Babel. Yeah. yeah. Babel. The yeah. test prologue was good. Yeah. No, I'm mm. thinking about Babel. I'm thinking about the that yeah. one was so bad it was boring. <laughs> it was just as it was just as ridiculous as this. Yeah, but oh, more unwatchable. Yeah. This was if, watchable. If I told somebody I have a podcast about Deep Space Nine and like, oh, that's interesting. It must be good. Wade likes it. And then they just flip to a random episode and watch this one. I'm going to be so embarrassed. I was like, <laughs> oh, oh. And they they're like they can't. I was like, I can't look at that person anymore. I can't believe that they would have any respect for me. Really, you don't think you think that they watched Babel that they would be better off than Move Along Home? Maybe. Really, they would. You could at least convince them it gets better. But if they thought this was random sampling, they'd be like, Oh my god! I think once they saw Odo blowing those dice, they would love you forever. Unless they were like old school. If they were old school Doctor Who fans, maybe they'd give me a pass. But that's about it. I, I think once they see Odo blowing on those dice, they would just thank you forever in their hearts. There is. <laughs> or uh, Quark's Ghost of Christmas Future movie. <laughs> okay, so we're at the precipice of this. Let's try. F- what is the game? Yeah, I'm interested in because Wade, I'm interested in Wade's thought specifically on the game. We've mentioned shoots and ladders, but you are actually out of all of us. You're a tabletop gamer. Yes, you're you're a tabletop gamer. Oh yeah. What are your thoughts about you, this game? You, yeah, James, I believe said and before when we were talking about this in text that oh the the one where they play D and D and. I'm sorry, sir. I find that very insulting. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I'm sorry to do that, too. <laughs> also, like, my family now is becoming, like, a bit of tabletop nerds. My son is now obsessed with Settlers of Catan. So uh, I've watched probably four hours of online tutorials with my son about all of the various ways to play Settlers of Catan. So, oh, my God. Have you ever played? So you're half Wadi right now. <laughs> Next thing you know, he'll be sticking Lisa Frank stickers on his forehead and growing a mullet. He watched this episode with me twice, the poor boy, and he did not understand why I hated it. No, he was having a good time. Oh, that's he was looking that's at dangerous. He was looking at the lead Waddy and thinking, I wish that was my dad. It's dangerous to give kids to subject kids to something like this when they're all impressionable and young. They might not know how to tell right from wrong and good from bad. Yeah, he kept when I first said I want to punch this show in the face, he's like, why do you hate this? And I'm like, why is it fun? And he was like, well, they're playing a game. And I'm like, but the game makes no sense and it's stupid. Okay, there's a gambling aspect to it and there's a round to okay, it. So like, yes. a round ends and if you somebody survives, you win whatever the wager is. I guess. Right? And there's stakes yeah. at each round. But it's all like a single pot because at the end you can lose it all. Right. It depends on your players. The person playing the game, I guess it's like D&D in that the people in the game are solving puzzles and role playing like in so much that they have to choose. And then the person outside of the game that rolls the dice has to choose the hard or the easy path. The hard path earns you more money. That's all I got. (laughs) Okay, so they're legitimately playing with people, but there's also like those people aren't in the room. Okay, so let's say Julian Bashir didn't have the idea to drink the mimosas being offered to them. (laughs) Right, the brunch scene. So how would that have came up as a representation of a bad roll of the dice? Because it looked like they rolled the dice for other reasons instead of whether Julian Bashir decided to drink the mimosa. I think. I think the dice, if I'm, if I got this right, the dice sets the parameters for the players or the pieces to respond to. So it makes it harder or decides what the puzzle for the room or the tool or whatever the mm-hmm. shooter ladder is called, the, the level that they're on. The dice decides what that is and the difficulty of it. And then the players or the pieces also have to decide what to do. And if they fuck up, then they die or you lose your pieces and then you lose your wager. So I guess that's how it works. Okay. And then you can take shortcuts. You can skip shats. (laughs) (laughs) You can skip shats, but you also have to wager more in the cost of actual human life, but not really, but yeah. Okay. So 
in Star Trek, the first original Star Trek, we had 3D chess. Yes. And then they started, they came out with an actual 3D chess. Now, please tell me that somebody's actually tried. No one, uh, no one understands the rules of this. None of the writers do. <laughs> okay. Because the first writer of this, whatever his name was, Ira Bear's friend, Frederick Rappaport, the only thing he talks about is the settings for when the game was to be played in this exterior Neo-Martian Chronicles Gaudi-type architecture world. Fucking yes album. It's totally a yes album. (laughs) There were houses and a little vengeance that was distorted as in a nightmare. Everyone was angular and weird. Sounds like a yes album to me. He never once talks about the rules of the game. In fact, oh wait, let me finish this up because this sentence is so... Awesome. They made the rooms and hallways almost Arthurian. It was much more of a phantasmagorical image is what he's quoted as saying. But he he says that he doesn't know what the rules of the game are. He never wanted to know and that the viewer was supposed to never be able to decipher it. That is some bullshit right there. That's some nonsense. Yeah. (laughs) I want to punch the show in the face. Okay. Yeah, because every time somebody had a question about the game specifics, Mm -hmm. the lead Wadi character would just... Like wax poetic. That's all he did. He never said a. I mean, he was a man who spoke like an asshole. Like there was no. At no point did he ever ask or answer a. And I know that that's supposed to be like a character trait, but he never directly responded to anything. And he's got like way more lines than he should at this point in in the show if he's going to be this cryptic. But like, yeah, like there's no point where anybody's like, just tell me the fucking rules of this thing. Yeah. <laughs> no one's actually saying this. Odo would be the character to say this once he became a part of the game, but he never does. So I don't know. No, he didn't give. He didn't want anything to do with this. This nonsense. Renee Abergenois was like, if you can cut lines for me, that'd be great in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they get through the game with all the bad acting, the hopscotch. Okay. Elmeride. And, oh, that's the worst acting in this whole thing. It's when they all have to do the fucking children's rhyme. That is not bad acting. That's being forced to do something awful. And someone quoted that. Someone said, we should have done this episode in the third season when we should, when we, when we wouldn't have made our actors embarrassed to do it. <laughs> you know, you think like in like, the, if this was a fifth season episode of the next generation Worf and everybody's got the confidence of the makers to do it. Right. They've had all this time to build characters and build a relationship with their, uh, with their audience. At this point, there's a moment where Avery Brooks has to get in line and sing that song and skip. Yeah. And I'm just, I felt sorry for Avery Brooks because he looked it in his eyes. He looked like, I've got to do this. I'm a grown up and I signed a contract. Right. But these people are embarrassing me. And he did it. He had to sing his little song and not a visitor, bless her heart, committed like a thousand percent to it. And Terry Farrell, Terry Farrell did. Yeah. And like, <laughs> <laughs> she Terry Farrell the fuck out of it. It's so bad. She's the one that has the idea to do it. Okay, now you just do the thing. And- Alan Moraine, if you can see. Alan Moraine, you'll come with me. Yeah, oh my God. It's and I felt so bad for them. I felt so bad for everybody in there. Yeah, I was embarrassed to be watching it at that point. Come on, just see the rhyme. And I know that that was not in the original script. That was not a writer's idea. That was a, well, what are we supposed to do if we have to cut all of these like action sequences out of the story? Um, You just say at the end, like, yeah, they gotta skip a certain way with a girl and sing a song. Like I swear, that's what happened, and I felt bad for him. And I just know that Avery Brooks had to feel like he was calling his agent. <laughs> he was. Yeah, I, I did feel bad for everyone involved at that point. So what is okay? So the perils were the first peril was skipping and singing. The second peril was drink a samosa to stop asphyxiation. The third peril was you just uh bashir just got hit with glowing lights and was disappeared and then the fourth trial was i don't i don't know like don't fall off a cliff yeah quark had to pick one to sacrifice and then he didn't want to and then so the game was trying to force them to sacrifice dax i guess by falling Uh dropping a rock on her and then pushing her off the cliff and so everybody dies or do they wink? But do they? Okay, so do they? Because it didn't sound like Quark lost all of his winnings. But did he? Yeah. Yeah, he did at the end. All right. Yeah. And it turns out, and it's like, well, turns out they were never in any actual danger. 
Because after all, it's just a game. Yeah. Okay, so I was wondering, at what point did they ever set up that it they actually were in physical peril? It was just implied. It was just implied by they disappeared out there. They were zapped off the station completely, so they must be in peril. And you have Kira say a couple of times, this is real, Doctor. You're treating it like it's a game, but it's real. But it's not. Like, how do they know that? They don't know where they are. They don't. Because their bodies are, well, they know less than Quark does. To them, of course, they think they're going to die. Quark is the one that has to make the jump that if the pieces die, they actually die. It's all implied, I guess, but blame. Yeah, it's implied, but I don't... I guess the entire time I thought there's like a major chance that this is all just... Probably a greater than average chance that this is all just bullshit. <laughs> and they jump immediately to the we're going to die conclusion. Yeah, they jump to... And I mean, yeah. you're right, they're there. They feel asphyxiation in the mimosa lobby and the bread and they feel the like the lasers whenever they just they do the bullshit hopscotch yeah oh yeah when they keep getting shocked in their tits but um right like i guess right for them i may it makes sense to me that they think they're gonna die it doesn't make as much sense to me that quark and odo and everybody else immediately jump and when they do decide oh my god this might kill the captain they just go along with it yes, begrudgingly because the guy won't answer a straight question. They don't point a phaser at him and say, look, motherfucker, we need our captain not to die. We're a military organization. We can military organization your ass. They at no point do that. Yeah. The Starfleet guys might not do it because they don't want to upset the prime directive or whatever. But Quark's already gone out on the record and said he doesn't give a shit about Federation rules. Like it would be better. And I'm not trying to because under the what would we fix about this episode thing? I got like a thousand things. No, no, no. But like one of the things like that could make this work is just have some sort of on a video screen or in Quark's bar have like their bodies there because their bodies are somewhere have their corporeal form there is like and you could see them being tortured or hurt and when Bashir gets hurt like you see his actual physical body get hurt or something so that Quark and Odo and the viewer can get that maybe they're Maybe Bashir died. Did that really, did you really, I mean, I know we've seen all the episodes, but put your mind in someone who just watched the episode in 1993. Do you think that Bashir died then? No one did. No. So it had no emotional impact. They, they do go through the hand waving of saying that there's the thing on the Wadi ship that spends more power than a teleporter does. Yeah. So it's like they're teleported somewhere that's constantly jumbling their neurons or whatever i guess that was some nonsense so <laughs> <laughs> i want to punch this episode yeah it was and then odo jumps on their ship and goes into the door and then shows back up in quark's bar for no explained reason what? Oh, so is quark's Other- bar on like did they hollow is their ship a hollow deck that where are they <laughs> i guess they're in the ship's machine somehow where is quark is Quark on the Wadi ship, or is he in Quark's bar? He's in his bar the whole time. So then how does Odo get there? Did he walk through a transporter? Because there's a portal from there, because then they know that... Oh, they know I he's forgot on to there. be thinking with portals. They know he's on there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then they laugh at him, and ha ha ha, Elmarine, blah blah, bullshit. Elmarine, Elmarine, move it on home. Shit four. <laughs> um, okay, so so are we ready to move on to what we would change? Because yes, at the end, it's all a game. Nobody dies. Wait, wait, wait. Can we comment? Oh, wait, Armin Shimmerman had an acting, real acting moment in this episode. Oh right, where he's like, cr- where he's crying to not have to choose. Yeah. Right, his ghost of Christmas future. Please don't. I'm begging you. Okay, which would have been nice, and I. I, I, I applaud Armin Shimmerman for acting his ass off. But if I gave two shits about, like, or understood the peril in this situation in any way, I would have uh, I would have felt moved. But I felt like... Yeah, it's a shame that he put all that effort into it, given the background he was working in. <laughs> that's exactly... That's what I was thinking the entire time he was doing it. I was like, I'm sorry you have to go through this. Yeah. I'm sorry you have to commit this much to this shit. Yeah, like, save, <laughs> save this performance for another episode, buddy. Yeah. Okay. Anything about the cliff? About falling off the cliffs? In the original screenplay, that was a uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom-style bridge ending where Cisco was to be the last man hanging off of a collapsed bridge over a chasm. Mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. And uh, they were supposed to choose whether to save Cisco or to let him drop into the chasm. And then when they when they came to to go to their bank account to make this movie, and it just turns out that they have five dollars to make this <laughs> to make this episode, uh, they cut that out and then made it to where Dex twists an ankle, and they have to shimmy along. I don't know, like whatever the fuck they did, and then they all end up falling onto a mattress. I don't. So that was. We can critique that all we want to as like a writing or like a thinking filmmaker's perspective. But that was just at the end of the day, they didn't have the money. So they just made everybody shimmy across a styrofoam set and then fall onto a mattress. Yeah. I mean, it was classic Star Trek cliff face. Right. Yeah. I guess that's fine. So I don't I don't judge it too much. But by this time, I was so like checked out. I don't know. What it, I, it was so ridiculous by the time they even got to this point, yeah, that it could have you know, they could have done something good and I wouldn't have given a shit, right? Right, but uh, they didn't, they just okay. they just they went to the next generation and said, Hey, you have a spare cliff face set, and they're like, Yeah, sure, <laughs> they exactly did. That's exactly it. Looked like um, the spare uh, cliff face from a couple episodes of mm-hmm. Star Trek mm-hmm. Next Generation. Oh, 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 I do have a funny side thing because you mentioned Next Generation, yeah, um. This was filmed concurrently with the Birthright Part 1, which was the TNG episode where they crossed, where they docked at Deep Space Nine. And one of the Deep Space Nine crew got to be on the Enterprise for, like, this episode. Or it was a two-parter. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, okay, so it was uh, Bashir got that. So Bashir's gotten more character work on a TNG episode than he's gotten on the show now. Yeah. Okay, so Bashir uh, got to be that because he was killed off early in the script, so they gave him over to the writers for TNG. A lucky man. And Terry Farrell, apparently, apparently Terry Farrell threw a big, like, fit on the set because she thought that this would probably get her on that show. <laughs> she thought this was, like, a stepping stone to getting on the real show. The real Star Trek show? Oh, she thought Deep Space Nine was? Oh, man. Yeah. Or just as, oh, well. Yeah, you got to step up your game, girl. She thought she was in AAA and she was going to get called up to the big leagues. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so what Alexander Sadig did, just because his character was killed off in, like, Act 2, they sent him over there and she threw, like, apparently a big fit on set. She said she cried. The whole time she was falling off the rock, she was just wondering, why couldn't Alexander be here doing this? That's kind of hilarious. She's an interesting person, and all of these little trivia tidbits make me just think that she was just like a, at this point in her life, was a pretty dumb girl who didn't really understand what what she was working on or what she was doing. So, anyway, so that's all I got. So, you can now officially go on to what we would fix in this episode. Hugh, what would you fix? Um, I would actually make them, the, the, the Wadi, more menacing looking. That way, it actually has some weight to it whenever he's caught cheating. <laughs> because he got a bunch of guys with Lisa Frank stickers on their forehead angry and mullets. It really didn't look like, you know, even Quark looked like he could handle them. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I think I've, I've, I've made my piece about what the Wadi looked like to me. <laughs> right. But I think it would have actually helped if they had, like, I don't know, mandibles or something. If they actually looked. Sure. There were giant you know, bugs. They, there were gigantic like bugs and like. No, I mean, if they just looked human, and then all of a sudden, like their face splits apart when he's he's caught cheating. Oh, you know, uh, just something. You know, then then that would let you know that these guys in the Gamma Quadrant don't fuck around. And then oh, so it was like if he cheated, it was like oh, they broke like the biggest rule. No, by just making them looking more look more menacing, because that's the whole point. Whenever he gets caught cheating, mm-hmm. you get the impression that these guys are like serious business somehow. Yeah, but it's only implied; it doesn't really work. But if they looked, fi- you know, physically menacing in that moment, it would escalate things in the second what what would have been a second act of the episode. So you, it would imply that these guys are more dangerous than they appear. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like a simple way to like. No, I think also that would correct the other problem, which is that the script doesn't allow them to say anything concrete or the episode wouldn't have any emotional value. Right. And you can get away with that if you're a if the viewer of the alien, whenever the alien is shown, is just thinking not. Oh, my God, that looks like a door. (laughs) 
uh, but is thinking like, holy shit, that's a crazy, violent looking alien. Right. Like, uh, so like, it doesn't matter that he's saying skip along home because he doesn't look like the gay florist from six feet under wearing a mullet and face tattoos. Like he looks like if he looked like the predator is what your point is. Right. Like, like if he looked like, right, right, right. Yeah. If you had a scary looking thing saying these childish, you know, horror movies do that all the time. It might have actually done something or had an effect. Yeah. I think it would have had a better effect. You know what? If this if this movie, if this show was made today, even with the budget and everything that it had, that's what they would have went for with the kid skipping. Would have went for like a grudge mm-hmm. Japanese ghost horror movie kind of thing. Right. Oh, and yo, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Also, they filmed the worst, like... They did a smoke room and a light room, which is like the worst things you can do on <laughs> video. So they put themselves like everything they did just put this show at a disadvantage. Yeah. They were not protecting their actors or their cinematographers or anything. So anyway, <laughs> but yes, I think that like a, I, I can't help when you said the mandible, I guess it's like a predator, a predator type alien or some other just physically menacing alien Yeah, would have, would have been totally great. Right. Expensive apparently was the problem, but great. Clearly this is like the cheap, we have no budget. Let's do a stupid ass hippie alien. Like the first season of next generation did or something. Yeah. Right. Or actual, original series did actual space hippies oh all the time right <laughs> oh yeah right the klingons were kind of just hippies in the original series oh the space russians is what they were yeah well yeah but didn't they have like they, they seem to like all kind of like have hair and have <laughs> <laughs> like beetles haircut yeah like they had been like that kind of like weird bell bottoms and furry shirts i don't know like i remember like I think that's just a you know artifact of the time it was made, probably. <laughs> Bell bottoms and weird furry sh- vests. Yeah, it sounds like the sixties. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Yes. <laughs> sounds like the sixties, yeah. That's true. Wade, what would you fix with this episode? Well, I think you make good points. That would have changed the dynamic entirely if they were actually scary somehow. I think the other thing I would have done have actually had stakes. It's like such a cop out at the end, like, oh, never mind. Yeah. It's all the game. <laughs> yeah. Make it the most dangerous game or something. Don't just like, mm-hmm. it's total, it's a total Dusik, Smocky kind of cop out, like, oh, they're dead, but not really. Psych. It's, it's dumb. So you wanted, uh, you wanted Bashir in a med pod by the end of this episode. Yeah. You wanted, you wanted him really hurt. You wanted Dax's leg to be really broken. Yeah, maybe, maybe that would have been great. <laughs> maybe the show just angered me so much I wanted somebody to get hurt over it. But yeah, you, I think you wanted blood. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think that would have made things more interesting. You know what? What if what if a first contact actually actually it, that Wade is right? Like if this was the first contact, and like a guy was knocked unconscious for six weeks, and Dax lost a leg, <laughs> you know. That would have been one hell of a first contact. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. all because of a stupid tabletop yeah. game. Because after they, they pull the rug and, oh, it's just a game. And then Quark's like, oh, that's fun. And then somebody says, oh, perhaps we'll have a rematch sometime. It's like, oh, God, I hope not. <laughs> Don't bring this back. Yeah, like, no, like, you're you're right. Like, if the end of it, Bashir was in, like, a wheelchair or some shit, or, no, Bashir was in a med pod and Dax was in a wheelchair, and they were like, holy shit, this first contact fucked us up. Like, <coughs> the next episode, Dax is still in the wheelchair, and Bashir's in the med pod. Right. That, that's the way you create a serialized, that's the way you create modern drama and characters and concern. That's a soap opera. That's the way you, which is what they're, trying to do here and it's really cheap it was for basically for the cost of a wheelchair like you can build this kind of character development that they don't do because they're still working on like a really dumb mindset from the writer's room yeah i don't think they are even trying to do the serialized thing i think they're figuring it out because this whole they do that with the first episode and then they jump to another they're just doing an alien of the week episodic yeah and then they realize that doesn't work i think and then hopefully well i think that they want to be cheap right 
And the whole, what is the cheapest form of television? Uh, soap operas. Because they have continuing storylines. You don't have to do a previously on. You really don't have to, not every character has to get a beginning, middle, and end in an episode. Yeah. Because the whole damn thing is your arc. Yeah. And that's what a soap opera gets to give you, so it's cheap. But I don't think that's even a concept they're actually working with yet, though. <sighs> Just by the fact that it is, this is the... Th- third first contact we've had this season (laughs) (laughs) out of nine episodes (laughs) the template they're setting this far they started with that first emissary episode of like okay this is an ongoing arc then they drop that Mm -hmm. and then they just go to an anthology where they're just doing an alien of the week basically where they have what happens oh something comes through the wormhole antics ensue and then we start back at the status quo yeah like and then Lit- and then later on, they figure out how to do that. You're really, you're really right. Nine episodes in, we've not settled any of the questions answered from the pilot. Zero, or even continued any of the storylines set up from the pilot. None of them. Which they will, and they do. And for anyone watching this and listening to this on an episode by episode basis, they do. Those questions get answered. But at this point, it's just. Damn. I think maybe they had that at the grand idea they had for the series. They had this all, but then they're still, you know, it's 1993, 94. Mm-hmm. They're still figuring out how to do that. So they're probably, okay, we're doing an Alien of the Week, and then we'll wait, and then we've, we'll pick two or three episodes out of the entire season to carry on that series arc. Oh, yeah. But we're saving that for certain key episodes. Because, and that, you know, they're doing full network seasons, except they're only doing 19 in this first season. This first season, they did 19. Yeah. But they're they're working with that. They're not doing like a British six episodes or modern cable 10 to 13 episodes. Yeah. They're doing a full thing where they, they have a few episodes in the season to, to pull out that series arc. But then they're just padding it out with all this bullshit in between. Aren't you so glad that we live in a time where all the shows we like are all 13 episodes, 10, 10 episodes long, really, at this point? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, the only thing I would change really, really quick is uh, for this episode is I and I and to do this, I'm going to put myself in Rick Berman's chair, which you get to this episode and you realize you got five bucks to film a big episode. When you commissioned the screenplay, it was supposed to be this giant middle of the season episode, and you got like five bucks to do it. So they put in this scenes about like the birds and the bees and Jake's Jake becoming a man, and like you have just bail out the story, make it. You still got to contact the weird gambling prog rockers. You have to do that, and they steal you and put you in a game. But get that over with as quick as humanly possible. And then just have a couple of scenes between Jake and Cisco, and then that's what should happen. I think that, like, that is probably, like, the best way to fix this episode is that if it was a Jake and Cisco episode, which we have not actually had yet, other than the pilot. So make it about that. Get out of it, really. Yeah, they set up all this Jake and Cisco and sex sub stuff. They should have wrapped it up with that because they had that in the beginning and almost in the middle. And then they just bail at the end with that entirely because they just want to get it over with. It's all tabletop game after that. And like there's no and it's the dumbest thing in the world. And they stick with it through the whole episode. Yeah, it's awful. Hmm. You, you could even made, I make a whole subplot about all these nerds that play these games never get laid. Because, <laughs> hey, that's that's true to life, right? But they had girls with them and everything because they had all of them, what are they called? Cork pig? They had all of those uh, clon pigs. Clapping with them. Right. I needed a clon up in. <laughs> My last tidbit for this, and I told this to Wade before the, uh, for the podcast, is that before they filmed, uh, Ronald D. Moore said he had always assumed that he would just move over to Deep Space Nine once uh, the next generation was over. And this episode made him cha- almost change his mind. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I saw that episode and I go, I just wondered if they'd all lost their minds or if they were on the right track. And is that re- what I really wanted to do? So Now, come on. That is, he is coming from a place 
a little bit too much of a high horse there because there was that episode where everybody on the Enterprise turned into animals. Remember that? Yeah, but did he write that episode? I don't know. Yeah. Who cares? That's what he was working on. I yeah. mean, that's his that's his show. Well, he's on the show where everybody turns into animals. I mean, I don't think anybody on this podcast likes Ronald D. Moore enough. I do. I was okay. about to, I was about to say, you know what? I bet when he does move over to Deep Space Nine, I'm I'm thinking we get some better episodes, some better seasons. Oh no, I think we do too. I I just I'm just saying, if you live in glass houses, you should throw stones. Let's not say this isn't this isn't that off from the worst uh next generation episode yeah but is it off anything that next generation did but you're comparing it are you comparing like first season to first season because i agree with you yeah i mean they spent much of the first season yelling <laughs> wharf no as wharf like shoots somebody no, i agree with you i i agree with you this there's points in this season that are as low but they are i mean you're this is the same crew that brought you season three four five and six of star trek they should be better than this Right? Maybe they are, but just not on five dollars. Yeah. This the shoestring budget really really was was really like Yeah. No. They were hamstrung. I agree with you. And I think that they just didn't know how to <laughs> They weren't even it wasn't a real five dollar bill. It was a Roddenberry <laughs> buck. It just said it was just it was just good enough for five Roddenberry hugs. Yes. That was it. Yes, you're right. I think that at this point you can probably I mean like if they if they did 18 episodes this season they would have done this episode. They would have just skipped this episode. Right. And I and Rick Berman has said stuff like he he was nervous about the episode after he saw it or no, he was nervous about the episode before they filmed it. But he likes the work his crew did, which is what you're supposed to say if you're an executive producer. So he, the guy who spent eight hours working on that smoke machine for the mimosa scene would have been his ass would have been burnt if they like just didn't do the episode. Yeah. So like, I mean, people got paid and that's good. I mean, everybody's got a job. We like people with jobs. So like, I mean, I'm glad this episode got made, but like, it seems like if the, if this was an 18 episode order from Paramount, this would episode would have not been made. All right, guys. Any other final thoughts as we try to shut this this one down? The next episode is all Ferengis. Okay. Oh my gosh! And it's got Wallace Shawn in it. Ladies, keep your clothes right. on. And I I have <laughs> lots to say about uh, my dinner with Andre. So we'll talk about the, uh, my dinner with Andre a lot next episode. <laughs> my dinner with the Grand Nagus. I should I should probably watch. Yeah, my, I should watch my dinner with Andre before. You've the, never seen my dinner with Andre. I know. I know. I was a big Grotowski guy, and yeah. Why would he watch that when he's lived it? <laughs> I lived it. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was in a great... Because it shits on Grotowski. It's kind of a great movie. I think Grotowski's <laughs> a great way to, for us to end this particular episode. Yeah, well, obscure theater references, what everybody wants in a podcast. Uh, hey, we're, we're talking about nerd shit, right? All right. We are. We're deep in... We're just a different kind of nerd shit. This is like Artie Euro nerd shit. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we're, we'll leave it there then. All right. All right. Three to beam out. Three to beam out. <laughs> oh, thank God. Ah, I thought I was having a nightmare. Oh, I couldn't wake up. Here we go. Uh, starting end of podcast reflections now. Everybody knows Move Along Home. I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Um, I would say that listening to this, I remember that this being the first really fun sort of podcast where I felt like we, we kind of got in the groove on, on, on sort of riffing on something more interesting than maybe what we've done before. We still, we really did sort of start off as like a tri- trivia podcast where we, we figured out all the little bits in this. And I, and I, do, I do appreciate that probably a, a good sizable part of our listenership wish we stayed with that <laughs> instead of uh just having epic fights over story structure but you know before the podcast changed pretty severely uh towards the last three seasons but this was really fun for what it is i really do i mean the part i remember we took the chunk off where we goes on the rant about the yes airbrushed van and uh that sort of stuff. And that was one of the first sort of riffs that we did that I think really captured our imagination of, of like how to talk about the show in some sort of broader, funnier, bigger context. Um, 
And in, in hindsight, I wish, like, the show... One of the strengths of Move Along Home is the fact that it's not boring. And a continuous plaguing problem of Deep Space Nine was that when it was bad, it tended to veer towards boring. Very seldomly did it ever achieve the heights of just chaotic weirdness, that whimsy and, and just confidently running into a bad idea that really great, cheesy works of art have in common. So this episode's a joy in that regard. I've watched it since. I think it's really fun. I mean, is it beneath Star Trek? Yes, I, it is. But then again, there's a lot of Star Trek beneath Star Trek. A fondness for this episode. I have a fondness uh, for this podcast of ours. I think it was a it was a moment in time. It was maybe the best moment we had until and and it was sort of a, a like a road not taken for us. Maybe I think that after once we hit, I think was it season two when what's the one with the fucking like the 2024 the Gabriel Bell riot the Bell riots episodes whatever that's fucking called. That was when we. Uh, that was sort of at peak uh, political vortex that sort of, I think, fundamentally shifted where the show went and our take on some of the more liberal leanings of the show as opposed to leftists. And, you know, it, yeah, this this episode presented a road not taken. But to be honest with you, um, the show didn't take this road either. Like they bored down into boring or less dumb <laughs> ideas. And so the the boring episodes were less fun me and so and i don't and sometimes i wonder if that's uh a metric by which uh ds9 is held as as one of the better tracks is that the episodes that are dumb are not as comically dumb as uh you know, having to solve space problems with uh, space Abraham Lincoln or going to the horrible African stereotype planet or, you know, any of those kind or, you know, having a major character die in like issue in episode 15 by like a tar monster. And then you find out that like the like the main character of the show fucked her like a season. Like it's all very weird and it's all very sort of poorly constructed where this show didn't have a ton of that when they went bad they just went boring and so this is uh i think it stands as a testament to this is the way tng was bad and in some ways it's better than just watching vic talk to odo about kissing a girl for 45 minutes you know when there's clearly more interesting concepts on the table that they're just not addressing so, uh, yeah, I have a soft spot for Move Along Home. I love Move Along Home. I fought to do this episode, and then I did it late and, uh, because of the holidays, and uh, it's my fault. So, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Did you know that some Deep Space Nine podcasts have more reviews than us on iTunes? Doesn't that piss you off? Okay, guys. Everybody is losing their goddamn mind over the wadding. Guess what? They are great guys. I mean, they like to play games. What kind of motherfucker doesn't like games? They have forehead tattoos. Everybody likes forehead tattoos. You are jealous. All you motherfuckers are being babies. Come at me.